Welcome to the Trinity Table Talk podcast, a resource for Trinity Anglican Church out of Littleton, Colorado. It'll be the goal of this podcast to serve as a resource for theological education and spiritual reflection for all those who might listen. I'm Andrew Winnegar. On this episode, we have Father Tim Suits and a very special guest, Dr. Sarah Evans. Dr. Evans got her PhD from the University of Otago in New Zealand, where she conducted a thematic study of liturgy, looking specifically at the formative nature of the embodied practices of liturgy and how God manifests himself to his people in our embodied reality. She currently serves as an adjunct professor of theology at Denver Seminary and Western Seminary. She was also a part of the church planting team that started our church. Today, Father Tim, Dr. Evans, and myself will conclude that the sacraments are outward signs of an inward grace and that baptism is the sign and seal of our entrance into the new life offered to us by Christ and the entrance into the community who is the body of Christ. Dr. Evans, thank you for joining us. I know even in our personal lives, I've been so blessed by your theological work and your theological mind, and it's exciting to have you on the podcast. Yeah, well, um, I'm glad to be here. Yeah, and some people might not know this, but you took your four-year hiatus in New Zealand, but you and your husband, Ethan, planted Trinity Anglican with us as part of the core team. We're there from day one, and Trinity wouldn't be what it is today without you. So we're just really blessed to have you on, on our podcast today. Aww. Thanks. Yeah, we, I appreciate that. It was sort of funny um, recently when uh, Josh was talking about OGs and the first Sunday and how we had to meet in their basement. And I had not thought about that in a long time, but it was like, yeah. those are really sweet memories to have about having planted and been part of that team. So special. it's great to be back. It was special. Yeah. Well, let us get into the question for today. And as we approach the topic of baptism, I think it is appropriate to first ask the question, what is a sacrament? We've been talking about a bit of the history, the theology of Anglicanism, and now this other defining mark that so many of us who were foreigners to Anglicanism and then have come in to it, um, sacramentology or sacramental theology is a very new thing. So I pose that question to both Tim and to you, Sarah. What is a sacrament? Thanks, Andrew. Um, I thought we would begin by looking at the 25th article of the 39 Articles of Religion as a helpful framework for understanding what a sacrament is. It says this, Sacraments ordained of Christ be not only badges or tokens of Christian people's profession, but rather they be certain, sure witnesses and effectual signs of grace in God's goodwill towards us by which he doth work invisibly in us and doth not only quicken, but also strengthen and confirm our faith in him. So what we see is fundamentally a sacrament is an effectual sign of God's grace. Often, if maybe you were raised as a um, an evangelical, sacraments tend to be called ordinances, meaning that they're things that we do because Christ told us we had to do them. And they tend to be something that we offer to God. They're statements that we make to God. This is my baptism, my commitment to God. This mm. is my sacrifice to God of, you know, of praise and thanksgiving in the Eucharist or, or Lord's Supper, some people call it. But fundamentally, a sacrament scripturally is God's promise of good favor, goodwill towards us. 
and that is in the sacrament of baptism and in the sacrament of the Eucharist, that God has chosen to be for us. He's chosen to not forget us. He's chosen to wash us, clean us, regenerate us, adopt us, bring us into his family. And what he promises, he does. So these mm -hmm. are signs and symbols that actually accomplish what they promise. Sarah, what would you add to that? Yeah, I think that's a really great place to start. Augustine was a fairly early church father who talked a lot about sacramental theology. And one of the things that he said is that it's an outward sign of an inward grace. So it's something tangible that's affecting something internally, right? And I think that that is such an important thing for us to keep in mind in terms of God's grace towards us, that his grace is affecting something in us but also that he's gracious to us in recognizing that we're tangible, finite creatures. And so he doesn't just mm. give us some kind of mental concept to intellectually hold on to, but he gives us an action, a thing that we can hang our hat on, so to speak. It's kind of like an anchor for us that's really tangible. I think that's a really um, great gift that God gives us in these rituals and actions that we do. What do you think about this, Sarah? Is as adults, we think as modern adults, we tend to think that we outgrow um, needing physical signs to think about things, right? I can purely live in the world of abstract ideas, but we don't actually grow out of that. And children, you and I are in this phase where we're raising young children. And Andrew, mm. you're teaching all of our children in Sunday school in very incredible and helpful ways, is they really understand sacraments. Sacraments mm. grip them, right? You know, one child, um, he was in trouble once and he said, but I still want to go to the feast, right? And that's what his family called the, the Eucharist, the feast, because he understood this is a meal with Jesus. And it's a special family meal with Jesus. And yeah. because it was a physical sign, he could really wrap his mind around that mm. more than just the reality of, well, Christ is invisibly present with us. He could understand Christ is truly invisibly present with us in the meal itself. Yeah. And I think we see that with our baptism. My, my friend Rob Paris, who passed away, he would have a, a tradition where every year on the baptism celebration of his daughters, they would rewatch the video of their baptism. That's amazing. And I thought, isn't that a beautiful discipleship tool? And I have on my desk, um, I have both pictures of my son's baptisms on, on my desk to remind me, one, when I'm frustrated with them, <laughs> that they are washed <laughs> as I'm washed, but also that I want them to know that day that that's the most fundamental thing about them, that they are washed by Christ. Yeah. So as, as a mother, especially, Sarah, like, do these, do these sacraments speak to your children as you're talking with them about mm. invisible realities? Yeah, I mean, I think they do. In fact, my daughter and were, my eldest daughter and I were just talking last night. I about, baptized her. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yeah, you did. It's a really great picture we have. Was that in the Rubbermaid tub? No, it was after the Rubbermaid tub. Because That's Ethan right. Ethan is a made woodworker. that thing because he didn't want her baptized in the Rubbermaid yeah. tub. It's like, you're not putting my kid in that. <laughs> um, yeah, no, it was really, it, that was a really good Sunday. Um it was on Easter too. Mm -hmm. We we were just talking last night about what it means to be the bride of Christ, mm -hmm. actually. And through a, a whole series of discussion, um, came back to baptism. 
kind of ironically, given that we're recording this today. And I said, do you do you remember what sits at the door as we go into church every into the sanctuary every week? And she she was like, well, there are doors there. I was like, OK, what's next to the doors? And she could remember there's a bowl of water there. And I said, do you remember there's a little sign? She said, yeah, it says remember your baptism. I was like, yeah, because we're always called to be remembering the things that God has done for us and remembering how those call us into a particular identity. And so like you get to be part of the bride of Christ because Christ has washed you in baptism. Mm. And it was really helpful for her. I don't, um, she would say, you know, I don't remember my baptism specifically, right? Cause she was like seven months old, but she can remember who baptized her, where it happened, right? Those facts have been reiterated to her. And then knowing that every Sunday is an opportunity to be reminded of that and to live into that identity over and over. So I think there's kind of a both and, right? As parents or, you know, other adults who surround children in the faith, we get to help them live into that more and more every day, right? I think the beauty is too, is we don't outgrow that. It's easy. I think, you know, being, there's something special about raising young children that you get to be reminded of all these things that I think I need to accommodate to them are the very realities I need myself. Yeah. And so I need that uh, font of water at the front of the room every Sunday as well. Mm-hmm. As the priest of the church to remind myself, I am simply one washed person amongst the washed. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. I am. I need this water as much as anyone. Yeah. Speaking of remembering your baptism, what is the meaning of baptism? I think we <laughs> might have got a little ahead of ourselves. We got a little ahead of ourselves. All right. So baptism is spelled out in Article 27 of the 39 articles. It says this, baptism is not only a sign of profession and a mark of difference, whereby Christian men and women are discerned from others that be not christened, meaning it's not, you know, just a sign of being set apart, but it is also a sign of regeneration or new birth, whereby, as by an instrument, they that receive baptism rightly are grafted into the church. The promises of the forgiveness of sin and of our adoption to be the sons and daughters of God by the Holy Ghost are visibly signed and sealed. Faith is confirmed and grace increased by the virtue of prayer unto God. And then it says this, this is interesting. The baptism of young children is in any wise to be retained in the church as most agreeable with the institution of Christ. So what we see here is baptism symbolizes quite a bit, actually. Uh, It reveals and communicates that we are buried in Christ and raised with him, as Romans chapter 6 says, that we are carried out of a life of sin into a new life, as it talks about in 1 Peter 3, as it's a symbol of Noah being carried through the floodwaters. Um, We also see that it's this beautiful image of moving out of slavery into new life that we see with the Israelites being liberated out of Egypt through the Red Sea and that great baptism as they are carried to the promised land. And actually that's that's talked about in 1 Corinthians 10 too. So we see that in many different ways, it, it reveals many different things, but all of it is that we are set apart, we are called by God, It reveals the work of Christ to set aside an old life and to bring us into a new life. But the image that we often don't have, I think, is this image of being united to the church. Mm. It brings us 
into the church. That's why 1 Corinthians 12, 13 says this, For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. This is the work whereby God says, these are my people. It's a marker of identity. Sarah, I know that that's a big part of, of your work in theology is that reality of identity. How would you say baptism forms the identity of a person? Yeah, that's a really excellent question. So in our family, we talk about it in the sense of um, when our kids are born, they're born into a particular household, right? Our children all have the surname of Evans, right? That's who they were born into, into our family. And that comes with a particular kind of identity, right? Um, obviously there's unique diversity amongst our kids. If anybody knows them, they would know that all three of them are remarkably different. And yet there are certain things that are the same across the board. And that is because those are the things that Ethan and I value and that we are then trying to raise them up to value as well, right? Whether that's something like, you know, we really value books and we read a lot as a family. Those are That's an activity that we do together regularly. Or it's something like going to church because we value worshiping God and gathering with others, right? And so there are these kind of identity markers that go along with being one of the Evans. And so in the same way, we baptize our children because that is what it means to be in our household. It means to be a part of the body of Christ, a part of the believing community, the gathered community. Um, and baptism is a sign of that belonging, right? It's an invitation to be a part of the people of God, just like circumcision was the sign of belonging to the community of Israel in the Old Testament under the first covenant, right? Or the old covenant, I think I often in our modern world, we tend to think I choose my identity. I create what I am. But mm. what you just communicated was, no, we're gifting our daughters, their identity yeah. in a significant way. So I think this is a great segue to talk about infant baptism because infant baptism is one of these components of our Anglican heritage. And I believe the historic Christian heritage that says you don't choose your identity. Now, Andrew, you and Sarah, you two have an interesting story uh, because I was raised... I was baptized as an infant, right? So for me, this is just a part of my heritage. But you too came to a conscious decision to become what is called paedo-baptist later in life, meaning that baptism should be administered to infants. I know that this is a, a question many people have in our church, many people struggle with. So what I'd like to do is I'd actually just like to turn, turn the microphone to you two for a little bit and ask you, how did you come to this place? coming from a credo, meaning adult Baptist position. Andrew, tell us a little bit of your story on this. Yeah. Mm. Uh, I was an Anglican for quite a while before I was a Pado baptist and I knew at some point I would have to reconcile those things. But I think it was actually a very roundabout way. When we talk about infant baptism, we talk a lot about the, um, the sign of the covenant given to us in Jesus Christ. I struggle with that word because I, I just previous history, previous exposure, 
Um, so I had to come at that same concept from a very different angle. And a lot of it actually came from seeing it in psychology, seeing how the the love of a mother and father actually create the beginnings of identity in a child mm. and how community does this as well. And then all of a sudden it starts to make sense that like, as we were talking about a few episodes ago, Tim, we are made up of existence and essence. Part of our essence as human beings is the relationships we hold with people around us. Yes. So what does it mean when we exist to a community whose identity is that we're redeemed in Christ. Mm. And then I start to re-understand, oh, this is what people mean by covenant community. And we can see this in a few places in scripture, like 1 Corinthians 7.14. Uh, we have this example of one spouse, one believing spouse. Through them, the whole family is considered holy. And it's like, oh, these relationships um, are constitutive of how God sees the family. And to use the the description of circumcision. Circumcision was given to infants before they could ever profess faith or mm. really enjoy obedience to God. Uh, and I think I got hung up on that quite a bit because, well, if circumcision was a sign of the old covenant, which you were born into, baptism is the sign of the new covenant, which you're born again into. But I think the the logic there kind of breaks down because I am misunderstanding the role of circumcision. And you don't have to go very far to see that in the prophets over and over and over again. Um, do not just be circumcised, but be circumcised of the heart. It's an internal reality. And then all of a sudden we see a typology of the same sacrament that we've been talking about, of an, an external reality being connected to an internal grace. And then once that clicked in my head, I was like, huh? I can now, without shame, without reservation, be fully Anglican. So let me help. So draw this connection for me, Andrew. You're saying yeah, yeah. in the Old Testament, what often happens biblically is if you're a convert, you're circumcised of the heart first, meaning your heart is drawn to God, you're cut off from the world, and you cleave to Christ. Well, Yahweh at the time, but we know that's Christ. Um but if you're born into the community, you first have a circumcision of the, of the flesh, but then to be truly Israel, you have to be circumcised of the heart. So too, in the New Testament, if you're a convert, you're you know, baptized of the heart first, your heart is renewed and washed, and then you have an external sign. But if you're born into the covenantal community, often you're baptized first of the flesh, but it only reaches its fulfillment until you're baptized of the heart. Is that what I'm hearing you say? Yeah. Yeah. Pretty succinctly. I think that was a big, that helped me as well understand why I believed what I believed. Mm. Uh, I was born into this. So I guess I've always kind of assumed that because it seems to be pretty accurate. Um, but that really helped draw the whole Bible together. Sarah, how about you? I remember when we first met, you were you were walking into Anglicanism. I think you were mm. you were very much on the road. Um, but you weren't raised as an Anglican. Um, so what would that process look like for you to come to a place where where you believed it was time to baptize Eliza? Yeah, that's a really good question. I actually had to give that quite a bit of thought because um, I think there were a number of different factors that played into it. 
Um, so we were coming to this place, Ethan and I, while I was in seminary and one of the classes I was taking, we were talking about different forms of knowing and that there often are things that we know tacitly, right. That we couldn't maybe articulate. And a part of that then was also this question of how much does anybody need to know or what do we need to know before we could say like, that is a sufficient amount that you know and understand and can articulate. And so now I will baptize you, right? Because I grew up Baptistic, non-denom largely, um, some charismatic influence. And so there's this uh, focus on giving a testimony about how you know Christ, your commitment to him, and then being baptized. And it really came to this place of thinking through all that and saying, but actually I think a lot of times we belong before we can articulate belief, mm -hmm. right? So our children belong in our family before they can articulate what it means to be one of the Evans, right? And even me, I grew up as a missionary kid and I would say that I knew I belonged to Christ before I was baptized at the age of 12. I had, but I just couldn't put words around that, right? But that didn't make it any less true. So I think there was kind of that shift in my understanding of what it meant to belong, what it meant to know and to um, believe, right? And then kind of along with that, a couple of other factors. One, there's this question that I was really wrestling with of what is even going on in a sacrament? Huh. So when we talk about a sacrament, even today, we've really talked about the Latin kind of understanding, um, the Western understanding of the sacraments. But the Eastern church talks about sacraments as a mystery. And it really struck me that there is so much going on by God's grace that we don't actually know and we can't actually speak to and we aren't in control of. And we needed to be open to that, like with our kids. And then in that kind of like what you and Andrew were saying of allowing it to be God's promise to us of something that he is going to bring into fulfillment and into fruition, right? And so it's this great mystery that we were stepping into, which really is a wonderful picture, I think, of salvation as a mm. whole, right? It's really a child out there who who can't do anything for themselves. They can't feed themselves. They can't defend themselves. Um, and something is being, they're totally helpless and something is being done for them, which is really true of all of us in salvation. <laughs> we can't save ourselves. And so God has to do that for us. And mm -hmm. baptism being um, a really beautiful image of that and an image of then this life that we're stepping into that is full of unknowns, but trusting that God really has it under control. So I, those are some of like the major things that led us into this position. Yeah. I've often asked uh, friends of mine who don't agree with infant baptism. I just ask a very simple question. Um, tell me, does this sound like salvation? A baby not having a clue what's going on, kicking, screaming, terrified, yet held in the loving arms of her father. Yeah as he gently carries her through water, making mm -hmm. sure that she's not going to get dropped. Even though she's convinced she's going to get dropped, she's going to drown. He's going to kill me. <laughs> and yet this bald man in a robe isn't going to let her go. Oh, man. And yeah. isn't that this beautiful image mm -hmm. of our salvation, our God of grace, that yeah. this father that we serve will hold us through the waters. 
Mm-hmm. And I think that's that's just a beautiful image you communicated, Sarah, is it truly, it, it reveals all of our stories. Yeah. And I think that well, is a really significant thing that we often miss in the modern era of being very self-focused about this is my baptism, this is my identity. And we often miss out on that actually God here is doing something for us yes. that we cannot do ourselves. And that is a gracious and good and holy thing that he is doing it for us. Yes. Mm-hmm. Amen. There's a reason we don't baptize ourselves. There's a reason you don't take communion. It's always given to you. Mm -hmm. And that's even seen the first two people to receive communion are the priest and the deacon. They serve each other to demonstrate that exact point. Well, I think that's a, a great place to end this episode. Thank you guys, Sarah. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. Yeah. Um, Happy to be here. If anybody wanted to hear more of your wonderful theological insight, where might they do so? Yeah. So I actually have a podcast. Um, it's called The Key. And the website is thekeypodcast.org. And I there do like 25 to 30 minute episodes on teaching systematic theology. So I'm actually an adjunct professor um, at a couple of seminaries, and I basically take my lectures and I make them a little bit more approachable, a little more practical, um, but still, I hope, rigorous and theologically astute and put those into episodes for people who want to learn more about God and the faith, but aren't able to attend something like seminary. And I also do occasional episodes with my eldest, um, which we call <laughs> the little key. And um, we talk about theology and God because I think a lot of us don't have resources and don't have training. Um, and we feel intimidated about talking about theology with our children or with non-believers. And so it's just a way to be like, look, this is what we do in our house. And it has bumpy days and good days, but it, it is possible and you can do it too. So hmm. yeah, I'd love to have well, people come listen. It's It's a good time, I think. It's a great podcast, Sarah. I've been yeah. really blessed by it. Well, thanks. Agreed. Thank you for joining us on this episode. We hope to see you in the next one. For more resources or information about Trinity Anglican Church, please visit trinitylittleton.com.